Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Pleasure to see La Catherine and Emmy singing up here together, and I was reminded that their other daughter, Brittany's coming in, so it's going to be the Von, Von Fieser family singers up here on Christmas Eve. I'm just very excited about that as, as well. So I think we're going to have a, a delightful, absolutely delightful evening together on Christmas Eve as well. So this Christmas, we've been talking about the, the idea of there are all these little things that are part of the Christmas story that actually have very big meanings and very powerful impacts upon the story and upon our lives as we listen to them. Pastor Josh last week taught us from uh, the book of Luke and mentioned the shepherds and the fact that they were men of little status, nobodies that were basically outcasts and rejects in that culture, people that were considered insignificant, unimportant, uh, not elite in any way, and yet God chose them to be the first ones to see the, the newborn Christ child. And they were given the opportunity to declare the message God had given them of, of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and that a Savior has been born and was wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Christ the Lord. And so the shepherds, as they shared all that, they expressed their joy and everybody wondered, especially the Virgin Mary, Jesus' mother and Joseph, you know, what is this all about? And yet God is trying to say through us, is that through this, that to us, that God is, is, is concerned about people who are of low status, that his son, who is the king, his son, who is the one who will save all people, from their sins, who will bring peace on earth, who is the king that Israel was longing for, that all people need to surrender to. This child is born, and he's born as a baby, wrapped in cloth like every other baby, and he's laying inside an animal feeding trough. How low can you go? How humble can it be? God is saying through this, look, I not only care about people of low status, I'm gonna take an even lower status in order to save them. We looked at Mary and Joseph, humble, also humble people who were willing to make the choices of obedience. And we've looked at also the fact that God chose a little town, Bethlehem, to be the hometown, the, the birthplace town of Jesus as well, that a mighty king would come out of that little town. I wanna take this concept of the little things of Christmas and shift it somewhat and maybe think about it in a way that has been kind of challenging for me to consider and important and necessary for you to, and I to look at as well. Because again, the idea of these little things, these ordinary, insignificant things, God is using them in order to get his message across and bring his Savior into the world. The Christmas story in the Gospel of John is very different than the story in Matthew where we read about the wise men coming and Joseph's dream. And it's very different than the book of Luke, his account of the birth of Christ, where we see the angel appearing to the Virgin Mary and she's saying, I'll do your will, you know, God's will to bring this into the world. And it's very different than the shepherds arriving and, and 
giving their homage and, and worship to Jesus. In John's gospel, John goes even further back than the birthday of Jesus, further back than the conception of Jesus. He goes all the way back to eternity past, before creation even occurred, and says that there is something called the Word. The Word of God has always existed. And this Word came into our world he put on himself human flesh. He became a human being. And in the process of doing that, he communicates God's message that God has promised and God acts to bring about his salvation. The ancient Hebrews, as they thought about the wisdom of God and the word of God, and as they would read in the book of Genesis, as they would read in the, the, the law of Moses, as they would read in the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs and the wisdom literature, and as they would read the message of the prophets, they would constantly come across this phrase, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is what God is thinking and he speaks. I mean, think about this for a minute. Your words, they're revealing what you're thinking about. Your thoughts. No one knows what you're thinking, but the minute you speak, they know exactly what's on your mind. God reveals his thoughts. God reveals his existence. God reveals his plan, his power when he speaks. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 3, he begins to say, and God said, God spoke, and there was light. And we go through the account there in Genesis chapter 1, the different days of the creation, God speaking in these different coming into existence, God speaking in the mountains being formed, God speaking in the oceans coming to, to, to birth, God speaking the different animals filling the land and the birds filling the sky and the fish filling the sea. And on the sixth day, he speaks and man and women are, woman are created. He speaks and all of this creation comes into existence by the word of the Lord. In the law of Moses, the word of the Lord is, is called the Torah, the commandments of God, the teaching of God. And God speaks and gives his direction, telling his people what they must do, where he wants them to go, how he wants them to act. God speaks and directs. In the prophets, God speaks. The word of the Lord comes upon the different prophets. And they speak God's message, the word of the Lord that's been given to them. And it's a message of salvation, promising rescue to the people of Israel that are under judgment. The people of Israel who have wandered away from God. And God is going to rescue them and bring them back. But the flip side of that, it, the word of the Lord also is a word of judgment to those that reject God's salvation. It's a warning, a caution that judgment is coming. The word of the Lord speaks and God acts to fulfill his promise to save or to judge depending on what we do with him. God speaks and he creates. God speaks and he directs. God speaks and he saves. That's the power of the word of God. And as you read through the scriptures and the, 
the ancient rabbis and Bible scholars of Judaism, they, they said it's almost as if this word itself is a person. It's like itself is acting. That God is acting through this word and bringing it about. And John takes this concept and this is what he's referring to at the beginning of his gospel when he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the gospel of John chapter 1. This is page 886, page 886, and I invite you to follow along. I'd like to just talk with you this morning about the word that saved the world. Because this word that he uses here at the beginning of verse 1 of of John chapter 1, this word that he says there, it's not a great word of eloquence. It's not a, a, a wonderful word of poetry. It's just a simple, ordinary word, a little word that he's talking about there, a little meaningful utterance, maybe a sentence, maybe just a phrase. It's more than just a grunt or a sigh or a moan or a gasp. It's a meaningful utterance. And he says that in the beginning was the Word. And this Word has come to our world in order to bring about salvation. God has spoken through this Word And this word became flesh and acted to save us. So John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This, is, this was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. This is the word of the Lord. John is saying, as he opens his gospel, his account of the life 
and death and resurrection of Jesus, John is saying this Jesus who's come into our world, he is none other than the very word of God spoken in eternity past before all creation was made. This word that was spoken there He has come and been uttered into our world and the word of God has been spoken and this word has been clothed with human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, it says in verse 14. This world word has come into our world and he has come into our world to do something just like it was done by the word of God in Genesis chapter 1. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says in the following verses how God spoke and he created everything that there is. John is deliberately copying, mirroring the very first words of Genesis chapter 1 with his gospel. And he says in the beginning, and people when they're reading that, especially of a Jewish background, hey, that sounds like what Moses wrote in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. Here, John is saying in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And what we see here is John is talking about a new creation. A different kind of creation. A recreation. Making people brand new. Making this world brand new. In Genesis 1, the creation was about the physical order. The physical universe that we see, that we hear and feel and touch and sense. And in John chapter 1, he's talking about a new creation. People becoming members of God's family. People seeing reality as it is. A light shining and giving life to people. And people being filled up with the very fullness of God and experiencing Him. Our lives are empty, dry, and barren. Dead even without God. And yet, the Word has been spoken and God is creating something new. He's filling people up with the very presence and life and grace of God. And how does he do this? How does he make this new birth? How does he make this new life? How does he do this new creation, this recreation? He does it by speaking his word, and his word is Jesus, who's the word of God clothed with human flesh. So let's walk through this passage and see what he says about this word, how the word of God acts. He doesn't just speak. You and I often, you notice this, we make promises and we don't keep them. We make commitments and we don't keep them. We say, I think it's this or that, and then we don't do it. Our, often our words are just words. We, we know that, we blame that. Every year we go through the election cycle and we think about the politicians and the promises they make, and then they don't act. And we say, your word is cheap. Maybe there was somebody that you've dated or someone you're married to, or maybe your children, they say, dad, you make a promise, you don't keep it. Honey, you, don't, you didn't do what you said you promised to do. Everything God promises to do, He always keeps. Every warning that God gives comes true. Everything that God orders and commands comes about. He never speaks in an idle way, a meaningless way. The Word of God always acts. And what God said, He does. What God promised, He fulfills. He speaks and it comes about. And He does it through His Son Jesus who is His Word spoken into this world. So it says in the beginning of this this section that in the beginning was this Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
Now here he's claiming several things that are very, very important. This word is, is deity. He is divine. He, has, he is part of the Godhead. But he's different and distinct from God the Father. And he's also distinct from God the Holy Spirit. And so here's this entity who is divine deity in every way and yet he's different than God the Father or God the Spirit. And so there's a differentiation there. And this word was with God in relationship with him. And not only that, he is deity himself. He is fully divine, fully God himself. He was there in the beginning with God. He's always existed. He's not a creature like you and I are. Like this world or the universe. No matter how old it may be, this world is still younger than God. This world is still new compared to God. God has always existed. He's eternally existed. And the Word has eternally existed with Him as well. John is saying by this, this Word is not just some idea that's been spoken out. It's something that's existed. This is a person. This is a being that's equal to God and doing the things that God does. In fact, he explains it even further in verse 3 when he says, all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. This word God spoke and brought about the creation. The New Testament is full of, of teaching that makes it clear that when God was creating the world, He was doing it through His word and this word is none other than Jesus. He's the Creator. He made all things were made by Him and for Him, it says in Colossians chapter 1. And John explains this even further in verse 4 when he says, In Him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This word that was spoken into our world, that created everything that you and I see, that created you and created me, God spoke this word, made us come into existence, and He shined His light upon us into this world. And this light is what's giving us life. And this life is what's giving us light. He's talking about here the fact that God not only has made everything, but He's created us that we might know Him, have a relationship with Him, and have a, a, a sense of reality with him that we would know the truth about him and not walk about in darkness it says in verse 5 that the light shines in the darkness but the darkness doesn't overcome it some of our translations instead of the word overcome it says the light that darkness does not understand it and that's the because the word that's translated there from the original language it, it kind of has a double meaning I mean it doesn't can mean understanding or can mean grabbing and seizing something like trying to overcome it, like, like a football player tackling another football player and, and, and subduing him that way, knocking him down to the ground. And, and that's the idea here, is that, that in some ways, people in darkness, they hear the light of God's truth and they resist it and they oppose it. And yet God's truth and God's light keeps shining in the world and nothing stops it, nothing tackles it, and nothing knocks it down. And part of that is because we just don't understand it. We don't really grasp it. And yet God speaks it and God communicates it. And if we listen, if we understand, if we pray for understanding, God will help us understand and apply it to our lives. In verses 5, rather 6 and following, he talks about the coming of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has come and it says that he was sent by God. He came as a witness. He testifies about the light. He's not the light himself. 
In verse 9, he makes it clear that the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The first thing you and I need to understand is that if God is going to bring about a new creation in your life and mine, we need to see reality. We need the light. We can't live in the darkness anymore. We need the light that Christ gives us. And so for you and I to really know the truth, we need to understand that what God is saying here in this book and what God has said through the life of Jesus, through His teaching and through His work, He's telling us the truth. He's turning on the light. You and I live in a dark world. And I'm not just saying that because of the politics of the age or the the cultural arguments and culture wars that we're going through right now. I'm not even referring to because of that. Even if all the things were going the way we would want them to, we're still living in the dark because of the human heart, because of our sin. We live in a world full of people that are in rebellion to God. And I speak as one of those rebels. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a darkness in my soul just as there's a darkness in your soul as well. I know you say, speak for yourself, preacher. I am. But I know the nature of human nature just as you do. And we both know that there's an evil lurking inside me and inside of you as well. That's a darkness. We lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. I mean, how many times have you ever had a situation where you had a project you were working on and you said, oh, this will take me 15 minutes. And it doesn't take 15 minutes. It takes you two hours. Maybe it's a yard work project. Maybe it's wrapping all the Christmas present. Maybe you just say, have you ever said this to your spouse? I'm just running into the store. I'll only be 10 minutes. And an hour later, you're still in there looking for whatever it is that you're trying to find and buy because you're comparing. I don't know, should I get the red? Should I get the green? Should I get the red? Should I get the, should I get the fuzzy? Should I get the shaggy? Which I, do? I, I don't know. I don't know. And then I walk away saying, I don't know what I'm doing. So I just kind of get, I give up. It always takes longer. We lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We say we're better than we really are. Or we lie the other way to ourselves and deceive ourselves in the other direction. We say, I'm worse than I really am. We never tell ourselves the truth. We say we are because we say we're speaking. I know the truth. No, we're not objective. We lie to ourselves all the time. We deceive ourselves all the time. We're living in a world of lies and darkness. And the advertisers lie to us, and the politicians lie to us, and prophets and priests and rabbis and preachers have lied to us. And the only way we will ever know the truth is if we go back to the Word of Jesus, the Word of Christ, His truth. He will never lie to us because He is the light that's shining into this world. And if you're going to experience the new creation that Jesus came to bring, you've got to embrace the life and that light and His life, which means stop denying that I'm a sinner. Stop denying that I don't need a Savior. Stop saying I can fix it myself and handle it on my own, that I'm okay without Him. I have to stop saying that and I have to be honest and admit that I desperately need a Savior. Not just to get me out of hell and get me into heaven, but to save me day by day from the self-destructive choices that I make that hurt me and hurt other people and offend God. You know, when I'm prideful, when I'm telling lies, when I'm cheating, when I'm deceiving others, not telling all the truth. You know, the little things we do to kind of fudge 
and make ourselves look better than we really are to other people or protect ourselves or get what we want. We need to admit that we do those things. And if we're honest about that, then we need to be honest in saying we need someone to rescue us from that because we can't change ourselves. We need His life and we need His light. And that light has shined in the world and that life has come and we as human beings because of our pride, because of our sinful tendencies, that sinful nature, we naturally oppose it and resist it. And sometimes we're so angry against that truth that we want to like knock them down like a football tackle. Someone blocking somebody else. And then there are other times we do it far more subtly and we just say, well, that's nice. That's just your opinion, not mine. And we just kind of Ignore it like that. You need to embrace the light because the light has come in the world to show us reality. That we need a Savior. That we're lost without Him. That we're in the dark without the Word, the light that God is shining into this world. But John explains even more as he goes further in this prelude to his Gospel. In verse 10 he says, this light was shining in the world. And the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. What an ironic thing that here's God, the creator, who has spoken the word, and this word who has created everything that there is and everyone that there is, every person that there is, it says that this world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. The world didn't embrace him. The people of this world rejected him and didn't take him, even though this word has come into the world. The world didn't know him. And he explains, look, I'll be really specific in verse 11. He came to his own. And by this, John is referring to the Jewish people, the people that God had chosen to be his people, to bring the word of God through them, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, to bring the word of God through them, to bring the rituals of the temple through them, to ultimately bring the Messiah through them the Savior of the world. He came to His own people. And yet it says, and His own people did not receive Him. This one, these folks that God had chosen, this race of people that God had chosen, God had blessed them so much with His truth, so many promises, so much acting and working on their behalf, protecting them, preserving them, blessing them. And yet when the Messiah came, when the Word came, when God spoke and it became action in human flesh as a Savior and Lord coming into our world, His own people rejected Him. John is kind of summarizing the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus came into the world and people rejected Him. I mean, what happened to Jesus ultimately? He was nailed to a cross. I mean, if that's not rejection to be executed on a cross, to be shamed and humiliated, to even have your closest friends run away from you, deny you, betray you. And yet that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He came to His own, and His own were not willing to receive Him. And so you have the folks that are Outside the Jewish race, they've rejected Jesus. And you have the folks inside the Jewish race, they've rejected him. But John says, look, I want to make a little caveat here and say all is not lost. Look at verse 12. Would you read verse 12 with me? 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, there is hope. This light has shined into the world. This life has come and brought this light and we see the reality and we see our need, we see our lost condition and this light has come into the world. This word of hope has been spoken and the folks that were willing to believe him, the folks that were willing to trust in him, what happens to them? They believe on his name and they become the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. You see, there is hope. This is a word of hope that if anyone is willing to believe in Jesus and willing to depend on him, he will come and he will make them the children of God. Now, that light reveals that we're not the children of God. Yes, created by him, but we're estranged from him. We've had a falling out with him because of our sin. We're alienated and separated from him because of our shame and our rebellion, our guilt before God because we've broken his laws and we've offended him, we've hurt others, and we've hurt ourselves. But the good news is that God spoke his word. Jesus, his word came into the world and he rescues everyone who believes in him and he makes them the former enemies of God, He makes them the children of God. He brings us into the family of God. Now, what does John mean by that word believe? It's a verb. It's a believe. It, it means to, to act. It's a, it's a word of action. And just, it's the idea of an active relational trust. Like a husband trusts his wife and a wife trusts her husband. Her parents trust a child. Her child trusts a, a mother or father. You trust your doctor. You trust your pharmacist. You trust that car dealer. <laughs> Hopefully is going to sell you something that's reliable at the right price. You trust people all the time. A coworker, a friend, etc. That's what he's talking about here, an active relational trust. Not just agreeing that something is true, not just saying, yeah, I accept that, but I am going to depend on you. I'm going to rely on you. And so it's this active relational trust. Not only is it an active relational trust, but it's a continual trust. I keep on trusting. And I think sometimes we misunderstand this. A lot of times when it comes to how does a person get born again? How are they saved? How do they get right with God? We say you've got to believe in Jesus. And we treat it like it's some sort of transaction. I believe and turn to Jesus and he gives me eternal life. And that's true. That there is a transaction there, an exchange that takes place. He takes my sin, guilt, and shame and he gives me eternal life and righteousness. Yes, yes, he does do that. But we, it, we say that it's kind of done and we forget all about it. Yeah, I believed in Jesus a long time ago. And yet when John uses this word, like in this verse 12, it's the idea of keep on believing. You keep on believing. You keep on trusting. You keep on relying. It's something that's part of your life that you live your entire life depending on Him, relying on Him. Trusting in Him. Maintaining that relationship with Him. Now please, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that you work for something. 
That it all depends on you. No, it depends only on Jesus. No one else. But I'm actively trusting Him and I'm continually trusting Him. And really the bottom line is I'm trusting Jesus. I'm relying on Him. Not my church going. Not my system of doctrines. You know, I believe these ten things. It's I believe Jesus Christ. He's God's Word. He Himself is God's message. He is the life. He is the light. I trust Him. I rely on Him. And as I do that, as you do that, we become the children of God. We're born into His family. And so he says, just to be really clear in verse 13, we're born those who believe in Jesus not by means of blood. This is not some sort of physical birth that somebody is going through. So it has nothing to do with our physical heritage, whether you grew up in the church, whether you, you know, were, were raised as an American or as a Lutheran or as a Littlestown Chapel, chapel person, whatever that you call that individual. A chapelite, how about that? Something like that, I don't know. That sounds like a cult, never mind. <laughs> Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. You know, it's not just talking about the, the physical birth that we've all experienced, but being born of God. And the only way you're born of God is by trusting in Christ, and He makes you born again. You see, to become part of that new creation you got to see the reality you got to accept that light you got to reject the lies and deceptions of the devil and of our own selves and we need to embrace God's truth the light that Jesus brings in the world that we really need a savior and Jesus is that savior and then we need to trust him and in trusting him we become members of his family it's not by adhering to a religious ritual or code rules and regulations it's trusting in Christ and becoming a member of his family, being born again. But notice what he says in verse 14, because it's not just becoming the children of God that makes all the difference. It's that, but understanding what that really means, how that's fleshed out. Because in verse 14, he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And see, you tie verses 1 and 2 and three with verse 14, and there you have the Christmas story that this eternal word that organized and created, one person, Bible scholar, said the word of God, the word of the Lord is the root of the entire universe that all the universe grew out of was that word God spoke. All right, that, create, that word that created everything that there is, that word that directs everything as, as we're, we're called to obey him, that word that saves and judges depending on whether we trust him or not, that word that was spoken, that word that has always existed, that word became flesh. And it's not that he seemed to be human, as some false teachers have said, that he appeared to be human. It's not that he looked like a human or imitated a human or morphed into a human in some way, but he took on humanity. He took on human flesh in every way, fully human as you were fully human. He bled red blood. When he fell down, he would bruise. He cried. He soiled his diaper. 
He went through all the things that you and I have gone through. It says the Word became flesh. He was fully human in every way. And yet we understand through the teaching of Scripture, and this is really what's important about the virgin birth, the virgin conception and birth of Christ, is that He was born without sin. Fully human and yet not sinful in any way, in thought, word, or deed. And it says the Word became flesh and He lived among us. And many of you already know that that word dwelt there, dwelt among us. It's the idea of pitching a tent and moving into a neighborhood and living there. Not just a passing visit. You know when a a politician comes to town there to campaign rally or something, they're there for a little while and then they're gone. They don't really see what life is like in your town. They don't really know who you are or what you're doing or what you're struggling with. But somebody that moves in and lives with you and works with you and talks with you and is with you, they know all about your life. They experience it. He didn't come as a tourist. He came to live here. He's not a passing glance. He's not in a motorcade just zooming down the street while everybody's waving at him as he goes by. I saw him, I saw him. I went to the inauguration several years ago and I remember seeing President Bush's palm against the window as he went like this. That's all I saw. There he was in the big limousine. When Jesus came, you just didn't see his hand. You saw him. You saw everything about him. You knew what he was like. And just as the verbal word expresses the hidden thought, the hidden, invisible God was revealed not just through his words, but through the life of Christ. Jesus The Word became flesh and He lived among us so we would understand beyond a shadow of a doubt what God thinks, what He does, where He's going, what His will is, what His plan is, how much He loves us, that we would have no doubt about what God is, who He is, and what He's done, what He's up to. The Word became flesh and He lived among us And it says, we have seen, John testifies, we, he and the other disciples, we have seen his glory, his beauty, his radiance, his majesty. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Some of your translations say the only begotten of the Father. And that word only begotten is not talking about Jesus having a birth in the sense of he never existed and then he was born, you know, like a creature. It's not that. It's talking about the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. That's who Jesus is. He's the unique, one-of-a-kind Son. The only Son of God. And I know you and I are called sons and daughters of God. There's no question about that. The angels are called sons of God as well. But Jesus is unique, different than you, different than the angels. He's superior to all of us and all the angels. He's the unique, one-of-a-kind son of God. Just like Isaac was the unique son of Abraham, the son of of Sarah, his wife, through his miraculous birth in their old age and and, uh, barrenness. He was the unique son of God, even though Abraham had other sons like Ishmael. And after Sarah died, he had other sons as well through another wife he had married later. And so what he's trying to say here is that Jesus was different than everybody else. He is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. 
And John says, we have seen his glory. We have seen his beauty and majesty and radiance. We have seen his glory as that glory has come into the world. And as you read through John's gospel, and that might be something worth doing, I would encourage you maybe starting off your new year, whatever your devotional plan might be and reading the word of God and spending time, maybe just work your way through the gospel of John. And he is talking throughout that book about the glory of God seen in Jesus. And we see Jesus walking on the water and feeding the 5,000 and performing all these miracles and debating with the Pharisees and, and defeating them in the debate, debates. But then we see His glory when He's nailed to the cross and when He's buried in the tomb and when He rises from the dead on Easter morning. We see His glory through all of that. The suffering along with the victories, the tragedy and the triumphs. We see His glory that God, the Word, would step into our world so we would know God and see Him clearly. And it's even more than that because look what he says. He's full of grace and truth. And John, the disciple, as he writes this, he's explaining that this is who Jesus, John the Baptist was testifying about. And then in verse 16, he says, His fullness we have all received, grace for grace. And he explains in verse 17, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God has always been acting in a gracious way when He speaks. The grace of God comes through His spoken word. And so the law was given, and that was a gracious gift to the people, the Jews. And God spoke and, and gave them a way to have their sins forgiven through the sacrifices. And God spoke in promising a Messiah. And God spoke and He was giving His grace and rescuing them and bringing them back from exile, back to their homeland. God was always showing His grace throughout the Old Testament. But then Jesus has come. And he came into this world and he lived his life and he did all these things, finally nailed to the cross and rising from the dead. And the grace of God has been poured out in such a magnificent way, an overwhelming way, a powerful life-changing way. The grace of God, the truth of God is made available to us that now we're not walking in darkness anymore. We have the light of life and we're not walking in death anymore or alienation an estrangement anymore, but we are born into the family of God. We're made alive in Christ. And He's come to bring the fullness of God to us in a way that the law and religion and ritual could never fill our lives up. In a way that you and I could never fill our lives up through our work and through our possessions and through our money and through our health and through our relationships. He wants to fill our lives up full with Himself. The grace of God. That's what this word is saying to us through Jesus. He's that word. He's come to fill us up with the presence of God. And so that's why he then says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. If you want to receive the grace of God in all its fullness, the presence of God in your life, you need Jesus. You need to trust in Him. We need to slow down and be with Him. And that's kind of why we light these Advent candles and think about peace like Dave taught us today. 
It's all about drawing on that relationship of continually trusting and relying on Christ because we become members of His family and we see the truth and we receive the fullness of all that God is and all He has for us. When they sing, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It truly is. Because the most wonderful Savior has come. And He wants to fill up your life and my life in the most wonderful way. I kind of think, reading this chapter, if John, the disciple, the author of the Gospel of John, were here, and you would ask him, what's your favorite Christmas carol? John, he'd probably say, do you hear what I hear? The word has been spoken. It's Jesus. And He has come. God The Word has come in human flesh and He speaks to you the truth that gives life and fills you full with the presence of God. Are you listening? But even more than that, are you believing? Are you trusting, relying on Him? You can turn a deaf ear. You can close your eyes and not see the word or hear the word. But the word is still spoken. The word is still come. Are you listening? And are you believing him? What are you doing this Christmas? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the great privilege of being in your presence. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. This, this utterance that makes all the difference bringing the entire universe into creation, giving us your light and life, making us your children, keeping your promises, filling us full with your presence. Lord, I ask that we would surrender to you in faith and that we would keep trusting and relying on you. Thank you that we can become your children when we trust in you. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray. Thank you that the Word was made flesh. He came and pitched His tent among us. Thank you that in the Word of God we see His glory. May we rely on Him, trust in Him, and be filled full with Jesus this season and every every season. I pray in His name. Amen.